0: We are right now uh, just second message in on a series called Vows, Making and Keeping Your Promises. Now, last week we talked about kind of the foundation for all of this. The basic thing is that we want to be seen as trustworthy people. We want people, when we say something, want people to trust us. When we say we're going to do something, we want people to be able to trust us. So that's what we want. So you want to be trustworthy being trustworthy means that you do what you say you're going to do. The promises that we make are based on the promises that God makes to us. So character integrity, we want to say, trust me. And when you say, trust me, it means that you're trustworthy. And then that goes down to kind of a promise keeping history on your part. And then God's promises and God's character. So it all rests on that. Now, one of our problems is that we live in a world that characteristically and chronically overpromises and underdelivers. And I don't know when you discovered that. Uh, I discovered that when I was about eight years old. You know, I responded to this ad in a comic book, you know, for this pen knife for 25 cents, you get this really cool looking knife. So I sent in my quarter and then what I got, I got a 25 cent plastic handled knife that was worthless, (laughs) totally worthless. Now you think I'd learn, okay? Bump it up about, well, let's put it this way, several decades to a battery-operated pump that moves gas from one container to another. Now, who hasn't spilled gas all over their hands or spilled gas on the floor? And I thought, this seems ideal. So I called the toll- free number and I got this ten minute least ten minute sales pitch on not just the turbo pump but the super turbo pump and but wait there's more and it's like it went on and on and on so you know, I got this thing was it worth it? Uh, probably not now, has this ever happened to you i don 't want to feel like i 'm kind of the only gullible shortbread person standing up here in the world, but the problem with promises is that We break them too, don't we? We break them. I mean, how many of you, let's just ask this out, just being honest, how many of you have a current picture on your Facebook page or your Instagram account? Some people, it's like five years old. Other people, it's been so glossed out, nobody would ever recognize you. For some of us, it's like 10 years old. Why? Because we looked better back then, you know, and we continue to mess around with that. And then there are the actual promises, I've made promises that I haven't kept. I'm not proud of that, but that's true. Sometimes we make promises at a time of desperation, not because we actually planned to do what we said we're gonna do, but it was kind of an exit ramp out of something that we were in the middle of. Now you may be thinking, okay, Ken, you've, you've been talking about this series of vows. These are promises, they aren't vows. It was just a promise I made. And that's really part of the problem, isn't it? It's part of the problem. You know, because this is kind of the way it works. You know, we have big promises we keep, and we, that's kind of the gold medal award. And then there's the silver promises, you know. They're not quite as important. And you know, then there's the bronze promises that we make. And eh, they're, you know, down there third grade. And then, you know, the wood promises that we make. And then there are the plastic promises that we make. So we have this grading system on the promises that we make. And that's, that's not good. That's not good. Promises should be promises, okay? Not, you know, kind of in a series of how we would happen to grade them out. Now, most of you know that I'm addicted to a program on TV called Mayday, you know, which means that I try to watch it every once in a while, and every once in a while they'll have a whole binge thing on it, and I'll watch a bunch of them together. But I was watching a Mayday program, I guess probably over Christmas vacation, and there was this uh, commuter plane, and this thing took off, seemed to be going along fine, and then all of a sudden, it just dropped out of the sky like a sack of hammers, you know, and killed everybody on board. Now, when they began to do the research on what actually happened, they found out that the maintenance team, you know, under some time pressure, had forgotten to basically put, you know, put the screws back in the stabilizer, okay? And I'll tell you this, when this, when this, when the, front came off that stabilizer, this thing went down. So let me just really be nasty and brash and ask this. What are the chances of your promises, even the small ones, taking off and landing safely? If your promise was a plane, would you fly in it? That's a pretty important question. And not just like the commuter plane, not you know, not just the seven sixty sevens, you know, the seven forty sevens, the A, you know, three eighty or anything like that. Like, are your promises your promises? So let's just kind of do kind of a group, you know, uh, proclamation here that in you know, twenty twenty two, we live in the land of spin. Okay, and all you have to do is watch ads on TV and you'll see it. Now we get used to this, so we don't really you know think too much about it. You know, we see a car ad. Come on, I mean, if you watch the car ads. You know, really, you know, we look at the sleek lines and hear the engine purr and we think to ourselves, well, it seems like a really nice car and so on. But think about, you know, some of the ads, like do people who buy an SUV actually drive the thing through the snow up to the top of a mountain and go snowboarding? Do people who have one of these things actually take an off-road detour when they're going someplace and drive through the woods? No, people in Toronto have SUVs with four-wheel drive because someone might have a gravel driveway. That's about, you know, the farthest out there that we get. You know, you see an ad, you know, and somebody wakes up, you know, tired and bored, you know, and then the smell of their laundry makes them want to bounce the baby around and, and, you know, and laugh and so on. Or the kind of air freshener, you know, this kind of plump, you know, drab-looking woman, you know, goes into a kitchen and sprays the usual stuff around, you know, and she's in this outdated kitchen, you know, and she doesn't look all that hot, you know. And then somebody comes in, you know, to a bright white kitchen, and they're smiling, and they're slim, and they're like the model type, you know, and they spray it around, and it smells, I mean, it's just crazy, crazy stuff. And that's the world we live in. That's what we see every day. And I understand exaggeration. I understand that. But I'm just saying that we live in the land of spin. You know, when you watch CP24 or CNN, this is not the news of the world. It has contained some of the news of the world. But the real truth truth is that they need money to stay on TV, okay? So they got to keep you watching. And what sells what works for them is you know right now it's COVID because everybody's interested in it so they know if they keep that front and center that everybody's gonna watch TV and they're gonna make money and they're gonna keep their program on the air. Now I'm not trying to be cynical, I'm just saying that's truth. They're selling news, not necessarily broadcasting news. You go on you know Instagram or Facebook or TikTok and what you're seeing on that is not some random picture that somebody's just taken from their lives, you know, as their you know their profile picture or whatever. This is like, you know, one of 3, you know, one out of, you know, one of 3 photographs out of 200, you know, f- you know, um selfies that were taken. And, you know, when they choose, you know, a picture, like this isn't the kind of meals that they make every night they show you a picture of. This is like the one that worked out of 25 or 50 or 75 that didn't. So you just have to understand. And then you get into dating websites. I mean, do you actually believe the picture and the press on there? (laughs) You probably shouldn't. Here's the problem. That kind, So that we have this ongoing distrust, okay, because it's just a part of our world. And sometimes what happens is that distrust leaks over into God's promises. And I think it would be safe to say that we pretty much live in a world system that thinks that maybe, you know, the Bible is pretty much about marketing God to naive people. And you may feel that way like that too. You know, you see stuff, you see the, you know, Christian TV programs and whatever, and you think, okay, they're marketing God. He doesn't actually do that stuff. They're just trying to get me into the system. And my point is that many times our cynicism extends to God, and it affects every part of our lives. It affects, you know, the way we make our own promises. So we're tempted to think, you know, everyone makes promises that they can't keep to get what they want. Everybody does that. And it gets normalized and sometimes this gets into our character and makes us people, turns us into people where everybody, you know, we make a promise and everybody looks at us like, yeah, right, sure, you know, because they don't believe us for a minute. Everybody wants to be believed. Everybody wants to be seen as a trustworthy person. But sometimes we do stuff that basically sabotages that. Now, Jesus talks a lot about this. Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, you know, uh, if you want to turn on your iPad or your iPhone or, or whatever version you use, maybe you have an actual Bible, you can read along with me. This is found in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 33 to 37. This is what he says, again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows that you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head. You can't even make one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Now, if you've been around the church for a while, you know, you want to think to yourself, okay, well, so Jesus is talking about the Old Testament here, which tells people to swear oaths to God and stuff like this. Why is he telling them not to? Well, the first thing that you need to know is that Jesus fulfilled the law, okay? So with his life, he fulfilled the law, and we have no obligation to the Old Testament Jewish law as it's, as it's spelled out there. And that's why we eat bacon, you know, and ham and lobster and so on. We don't stone people, you know, for fishing on the Sabbath. Paul tells us that the Old Testament law was like a schoolmaster and that no one was ever saved by actually keeping the law. So it's important to understand that. The oaths that it's talking about there, they were a way of making clear that it was a serious situation. It was a serious situation, and people needed, when they took the oath, to look at themselves, look at their motives, and make sure that they were telling the truth. And we still do that in court systems, right? Because if somebody's life is on the line, if their freedom is on the line, truth is very important, and you dare not mess with that. In fact, you can get, a, you can get arrested and put in jail for perjury if you don't. It's very, very important. Now, what Jesus is getting at here and he actually talks about this in another passage the point is why would you need a courtroom scenario to get you to tell the truth to have your yes be yes and your no be no what was going on in that culture is that people would sometimes in the marketplace they would swear that you know, something was, you know, what they said it was and so on, and they would swear by the temple and so on, that this is exactly what I'm telling you it is. So the seller, let's say this person, is not familiar with the whole system that's going on, they get the thing home and they begin to look into it and they find out that it's fake. So they go back to this person who guaranteed them based on the temple, and the person would say, well, you know, I didn't didn't swear by the gold of the temple, only by the temple. In other words, it was this whole thing of promises. This was not a gold-class promise. This wasn't even a silver-class promise. This was a plastic-class promise. This is what Jesus says about that and the crazy logic behind it. He says, woe to you blind God. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone who swears by the gold in the temple is bound by that oath, you blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You want to ask Jesus, Jesus, how do you really feel about this? But you understand what he's saying. that you know, People would grade their promises based on you know, what they took the oath on. It's just crazy stuff. And his core question is, why would you need a whole messed up system, you know, to, to kind of keep you to the truth, instead of just telling the truth, letting your yes be yes and letting your no be no. It was a form of premeditated lying that was based on, you know, the faith of these people. Very crazy. I saw a recent documentary on uh, Bernie Madoff, you know, the guy who made off with, you know, $17 billion of other people's money. Basically, through a whole Ponzi scheme that he used. So Lori and I were talking about this after. So this guy got, you know, 150 years in prison. And we're asking ourselves the question, you know, so 150 years, that's a lot of time for what would appear to be white collar crime. And yet when you think about it, and you think about the lives that he ruined by taking people's savings, promising them a return, and basically ripping them off, taking all their money, When you think about the fact that at least two people that we know of committed suicide because of their association with him, when you think about people whose futures were ruined, you think, well, maybe even 150 years wasn't just. And as you know, he just died last year. Now, when you look at this, you'd have to ask, okay, so who was Bernie Madoff's God? Well, his God apparently was money because, you see, what you serve is what you make your sacrifices to, and he sacrificed everything for this God, and unfortunately, even sacrificed his life. Is it possible to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind as he asks of us, as Jesus asked of us, and love your neighbor as yourself and rip people off, not keep your promises? Well, the answer to that would be no, no, and that's why Jesus says, don't Play games with honesty and promises. Keep your word. If you say yes, do yes. If you say no, do no. Listen to how the message uh, uh, paraphrase uh, paraphrases his words and kind of brings them into the light of kind of our uh, Christian community here. And don't say anything you don't mean. This counsel is embedded deep in our traditions. You only make things worse when you lay down a smokescreen of pious talk saying, I'll pray for you, and never doing it, or saying, God be with you, and not meaning it. You don't make your words true by embellishing them with religious lace. In your speech, in making your speech sound more religious, it becomes less true. Just say yes and no. When you manipulate words to get your own way, you go wrong. Now, the question is, why do we do this? Why would anybody do this? Why would somebody promise friendship to somebody and then, you know, mess around with their reputation behind their back? Why would we tell our kids that we're going to do something for them and never do it? Why would we promise family members and friends that we're going to go somewhere with them and then every time it's supposed to, you know, supposed to happen, just cancel at the last minute? Why would we borrow money from friends and say, you know, I'll pay this back. I promise I'll pay this back and never pay it back. Why would we compliment somebody to their face and then shred them behind their back? Why would we do that? Why would we sell something on Kijiji that we know is defective and make a promise that it's okay? Why would we swear to God in a crisis that we will follow him and we will serve him if he'll just, you know, get us out of the mess and never do that? Why would we promise to serve anywhere? Why would we promise to do a job? Why would we promise to go to lunch? Why would we promise to help somebody with a job? Or promise somebody that the payment's on the way, you know? Or say that we're going to do what we're going to do and cancel out on it with no explanation and no solution. Well, I don't know the specifics of the situations, but I do know this. It's a character issue. It's a character issue is really what it is down at the bottom. It's an integrity issue. Integrity means that what you say lines up with what you do. That's what it is. And what seems to me is that, you know, at least when it comes to me, you know, we, we make a promise that gets us the deal that we want, gets us the solution that we want, gets us the recognition that we want, but then when we realize it's gonna cost more than we want it to cost, or when we realize it's inconvenient, like we promise somebody we're gonna go over and help them move, you know, and there's a favorite TV show is on or something like that, then we just don't do it. We just don't do it. And what happens over time to our character is that, you know, our actual priorities begin to show, which is money comes first, or convenience comes second, image comes third, and character is somewhere down the list, okay? Now, this is what we want people to think. We want people to think, you know, that we're people of character. You know, we have integrity. We want people to think that we're people of love. We actually love God and we love others. We want people to think that we're, you know, trustworthy, and that money and convenience comes after all of that, but when we don't keep our promises, what happens is the actual priorities, the twisted priorities of our lives, then begin then begin to uh, show, and we kind of get stuck in this in kind of what I think is kind of a system of thought, you know, where we make a promise. And you know and maybe we intend to keep it and so on and then we tell a lie or do something that kind of gets us out of it and we realize well the police didn't come knocking at my door you know so it must be okay and then the second time we do it it's even easier and before long you see this becomes the norm for our lives we promise something because it makes us look like people of character makes us look like people who are generous makes us look like people who are loving but then we never do it and what happens is, you know, we, over time, we cheat ourselves and we cheat other people. Uh, I've often heard, actually, this is kind of something I heard along the way probably years ago, you know, that trust is like a poker game. We all start out with a pile of chips, okay? And when you keep your promises, you get more chips. When you don't keep your promises, when you don't do what you say you're going to do, you lose chips. And when you're out of chips, the game's over. You know, and I'll tell you, you know, and I say this to pretty much every couple that I marry, you know, that like trust is so hard to gain and you can lose it just like that and it will take you a long time to gain it again. Now, I know this. I know we all get in jams, you know. Promise somebody you're going to be there for, you know, 1230 appointment and you either don't give yourself enough time or, you know, you get caught in traffic or something like that and you can't keep your promise or you, you promise your daughter you're going to go to a game and, and something happens that you can't do that. That's, that we all experience that, okay. But th- that's not what really what Jesus is dealing with here. He's talking about making promises and then basically building exit ramps making promises that many times we never intend to keep. We never intend to keep them, and so on. And so we're always looking for a way out. In other words, wanting to be seen and known as somebody that we really aren't when it comes down to the core of our character. Now, if you and I find ourselves breaking promise after promise after promise, that's a problem. That's a problem. People may believe our excuse the first time, They may even, you know, kind of believe it the second time. But I'll tell you, when they hear excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse, then at some point they say, well, you're just a liar. Because, you know, when you you make promises and you don't keep them, that's exactly what you are. Jesus talks about Satan that way. And that's why he says, you know, when you make promises and you don't keep them or you have to get into all this flowery language, you know, to kind of get out of them. He says, that's what Satan does. He writes this, or he says this basically to people, crowd he's talking to in John chapter 8. He says about Satan, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now think about this in terms of your own character. You know, God is a promise keeper. He's the ultimate promise keeper. What he says, he will do. You can count on it. So Satan is the father of lies. Who do you want to be like? That's the ultimate question. And it brings us back to the original question. Why would somebody make promises and not keep them? Why would somebody pretend to be sincere, but it's actually fake sincerity? I mean, you think about that. Fake sincerity, you know, that's a weird concept. Paul The apostle, one of the leaders in the early church, he he accused Satan of being a poser. You know, he says he goes around masquerading as an angel of light, and it's fascinating, isn't it? Prince of darkness, prince of darkness. You know, puts on this little costume and says, "Look, light all around me." It's craziness, and we know why he does that. He does that because he wants to wreck us. He wants to destroy our lives. And we do it sometimes because we think we're smart enough to get away with it. We do it because we think people are dumb enough to believe the excuses that we make. And that becomes a problem. So let's talk about this, okay? And let's start with me. Um, I'm tempted to overpromise and underdeliver, And I've thought about this, about why I do it. And it's because I want people to like me. I want, you know, I mean, I think we all want that, but, you know, I don't want to disappoint people, and yet when I make promises that I can't keep, it's exactly what happens. I disappoint people, and I also hurt my credibility. Sometimes, you know, it's just people out there. Sometimes it's Lori, and sometimes it's me. I make promises to myself that I don't keep, and it creates a problem. Maybe you're like me, you know. And the problem is with this, I just want to just mention this, you know, if you think that people are too dumb to, you know, to notice that you're not doing what you say, when you, when you don't keep a promise, it creates pain in somebody else's life. I guarantee you it does. It may not be huge pain, but I can guarantee you that it creates pain. Pain is associated with memories. You know, when you get burnt by something, you think, oh, I'm not going to do that again and so on. And when somebody, you know, when somebody becomes unbelievable in what they say that they're going to do, and so on, then there for people, they see you, and some of them see a red light. And they say, believe me, believe me, trust me. And they say, and this red light says, don't do it. Or let's say you've broken a couple of promises, you know. And so what this little yellow light in their life says, be very, very careful, because they, pro- they may not do what they say they're going to do. And then if you have credibility with that person, it, there's something in you that says, go, go for it. And so that's what you want. You want the green light, right? So what happens is with me, when, when I am the center of this, and it's about my convenience, about my money, it's about my time and so on, and I make promises, you know, when I'm trying to, you know, not, you know, to not disappoint people or, or to make them feel better about me and so on. The, when the promises keep coming back to me, then I'm really the center of it, right? And so instead of admitting the truth, you know, about this stuff, you know, it's like, well, I'm just too darn lazy. It's like, well, you know, I I really want to help you, you know, but I can't. Or my life, my time, my money are all about number one. That is not very popular to say that. It's a very selfish thing to say. And so we try to hide that, you know, fog it out with stuff, with you know, promises that we don't keep. Or I just want to look great, you know. It's all about me. Nobody wants their lives, when other people look at them, to basically say, it's all about me. It's all about my time. It's all about me. It's all about my money. And when it comes to you, I'm just shopping for the best deal. Nobody wants to do that. And yet, over time, people begin to believe that. Sometimes we make promises to get extra credit, you know, and we just simply don't feel like, feel like keeping them. We come up with some excuse, you know, rather than just saying, you know, I, I, I just don't feel like doing it. We would never say that, so we come up with something else. And then, But the real problem is self, and you've met all of the little ugly children of self, selfishness and self-interest and self-obsession. I mean, we all know it's an ugly thing. Nobody wants to admit, I am just a selfish person. I am a person who thinks about myself all the time, okay? And yet, Jesus says when you say yes, mean it, do it. When you say no, mean it, don't do it. Even if it costs you. Even if it costs you money. Even if it costs you time that you don't think you can afford to give. Because you want to be believable. You want to be a trustworthy person. Jesus said, you know, put it like this, that loving somebody else means doing for them, uh, uh, having other people, doing for others what you would want them to do for you. There's nobody who likes somebody who continually, continually scams them or break promises. So anyways, that's kind of the bottom line here. So let's get back to the question. If your plane was a promise, would you fly in it? And I'll tell you why I'm asking that. It's because you're asking other people to fly in it. That's what you're doing when you promise somebody If you know anything about aircraft maintenance, you know, which I don't, I don't know anything about it, there's one fact that's clear, and that is that, you know, when this thing is flying at 10,000 or 20,000 or 30,000 feet, it's not like when you have a problem, you can just kind of pull it off to the side of the road and fix it and call CAA or FAA. I mean, you only call FAA after you've gone down, you know, like a sack of hammers, and they're going to clean up the mess. When you buy a ticket and you fly on an airline, you bet your life on the fact that somebody trustworthy is doing the maintenance. They're doing the maintenance on the engines and on the controls. That somebody is checking to make sure that the parts are not gonna break midair. You're checking that somebody has put enough fuel in this plane so that it actually, you know, is gonna get to where you're going. You wanna, you know, you're making a you're basically believing the fact that the, somebody has plowed the runway, you know, if it's up in Timmins or someplace like that. That somebody has checked out the pilot to make sure that they're not drunk or high, you know, or mad. You want, when you're going to fly, when you're going to base your life on something, you want to be able to trust it and know that somebody's doing the maintenance on it. And sometimes that's the problem with us. We just aren't doing maintenance on the promises that we make. You know, when I, when I say I won't do something, can people count on me for that? You know, when I say I will do something, will people count on me? Can they count on me for that? Am I a believable person? person? And if not, the question that you have to ultimately ask is, what's wrong with me? Why am I doing this? Paul actually writes about his struggle in this area of saying no to sin and then doing what he hates. Listen to what he says, because this is very vulnerable stuff for him. You know, he's the apostle, started all these churches, you know, St. Paul. He said, the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. And that would be a true statement for all of us. Something is wrong deep inside me. It happens so regularly, he says, that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. The answer, thank God, this is is the answer. The The answer, thank God, is that Christ Jesus can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Now, if I told you that there's this one, you know, surefire prayer, you know, and if you just pray this prayer that you're never going to have any other problems with this stuff in your life, I'd be guilty of making promises that aren't true, because there is no such prayer. There is no such prayer. We all struggle. We all struggle, right? Paul did, and I'm not better than him, and neither are you. But there is an exit ramp on this stuff, and honestly, the first thing, the first step out of any problem that we have in our lives is owning it confessing it. That's what Paul does here. Publicly, he writes this whole thing, says, you know, I have this problem, and he owns it. Whether it's gossiping or unforgiveness or critical heart or cruel words or a judgmental spirit, greed, lust, pride. Now, you can call it normal, but what we have to do if we're ever going to get over it is call it sin with an honest and willing heart. Is that the kind of heart that you have? Do you want to change? Do you want to change? Don't excuse it. You know, diagnose it, figure out what's going on. And here's the question. Do you realize the damage of not doing what you say you're going to do? Do you realize the damage of doing what you say you'll never do? Because it hurts your intentional word. You have to understand, if you're going to to want to change, you have to understand the damage that this does to your integrity and to your character and to your relational world. And I'll tell you why. Our relationships are based on trust. They are. you know. If you're going to trust somebody, if you're going to trust your life with somebody, if you're going to marry them or be in some kind of a relationship with them, if you're going to have that in your life, there has to be trust as a foundation. There's something else that the wisdom of God's word offers on this issue of doing maintenance on our promises. Don't make promises you can't keep. Now, I know that sounds like, you know, thanks, Captain Obvious, you know, I mean, (laughs) duh. But hear me out. Solomon, the wisest man ever, put it like this. He says, my child... If you've put up security for a friend's debt or agreed to guarantee the debt of a stranger, in other words, made a promise, if you've trapped yourself by your agreement and are caught by what you said, follow my advice and save yourself. For you have placed yourself at your friend's mercy. Now swallow your pride, go, and beg to have your name erased. He says, you know, you need to go to this person and accept, you know, as opposed to just, you know... Forgetting about it, not doing what you say you're going to do. Go and ask to be released. Listen to this passage. It's poor judgment to guarantee another person's debt or to put up security for a friend. Previous church I was in, uh, I was involved in the lives of a young couple there that had lived a really, really rough life, like really difficult life. And they were moving toward faith in Jesus and so on. And they called me one day and asked them if I would co-sign on a loan for a car. So I knew they didn't have a car, you know. Now my problem was I'm making 250 bucks a week, okay. So, and I, I was wondering if my reluctance, okay, is this just selfishness on my part? Or what is it, you know, is it just self-centeredness? I mean, what, what's going on here? So I asked them what kind of car they intended to buy. Found out that it was a sports car, you know, with limited seating and they had three kids. Okay, so that, that was a warning sign for me. And I thought to myself, is this a wise thing to do? And then the second thought was, can I actually afford to do this, you know, if they were renege on the loan? And the answer to both questions was no. But you have to ask the big question, why do I struggle to keep my promises? Why have I disappointed people? Why am I bailing on this stuff? You know, is, is it money? Is it convenience? You know, in other words, is this stuff, is money and convenience and in these things, are they the God that I'm actually serving as opposed to a God who calls me to keep my promises just like he does? You have to ask yourself the question. You know, you may find the home of your dreams. And you think to yourself, oh man, I gotta have this house, and you've got all your family come around you saying, Oh, this is gonna be great house for you to have and so on. But in your heart you know that you're not buying a house, you're buying a prison. And you're gonna to have to live in that prison for a long time because you won't be able to afford anything else. It's just being wise about it. There's another reason why people don't keep promises, and I and I'm a little hesitant to mention this because this is a painful, painful area. But it's addiction. You know, an addiction to drugs or pornography or alcohol or shopping or or something like that. It can turn you into a liar, and it will turn you into a liar because what happens is, you know, you ultimately will not be able to keep your promises, and you'll make promises to keep, you know, your lifestyle to keep what you want, but ultimately people will look at you and say, yeah, you promised, but you're never going to do. And if you've ever been close to somebody, you know, Jesus said that sometimes we have a shepherd that's not really a shepherd, it's a thief. And it comes to steal and kill and destroy. And that's what this stuff does to you. And if you've ever been close to somebody who has a problem like this in their life, you know what it's like to live with a string of broken promises because addiction turns us into liars. So this is the question. If your promise was a plane, would you fly in it? If your promise was a plane, would you fly in it? Speaking of planes, let's land the plane here, okay? See, God's plan for my life, God's plan for your life, is that we would be people of integrity. People, you know, who when we say something, people actually believe what we say because they know that we're good for our word. The alternative sometimes is kind of leaving a trail of blood behind us instead of leaving a trail of goodness and love behind us. That's what God wants. In a culture like ours, I'm telling you, you will always be able to find a lawyer, you know, with expensive stationery, you know, who's clever enough to kind of get you out of your promises. But that's not the real issue. That doesn't help your integrity one bit. It doesn't help your character. It's leaving characters about leaving people and places better because you touch their lives. Character is what you want when you're the one that's, you know, in the casket and people are, you know, telling, you know, others what you did for their lives, you don't want to leave a trail of people, and say, yeah, yeah, he told me a bunch of lies and then died, you know, and never paid them. We want character. And when we want, we also want close relationships, and close relationships, you see, take promise keeping. Doing what you say you're gonna do, not doing what you say you're not gonna do. And the question is, do people that you love and people who love you believe what you tell them? Believe your word. There's another factor, and this is really important. You know, if Jesus was right, and he was, then what we do here doesn't just have ramifications for this life. (laughs) It matters for all of eternity. I recently got a letter from a woman who had a long-term relationship with a man who'd used her and ripped her off and left her broken. You know, never made it right. Jesus talks about this, and he said, you know, sometimes in our lives, if we've left a trail of broken promises, sometimes we need to go back. We need to make things right. In fact, Jesus said, if you're in a worship service, you know, and you've got your hands lifted and praying and, you know, crying and everything like that, and he said, and you remember that you've ripped somebody off, you hurt somebody, he said, you need to go and make it right before you even continue on in the worship service. So I just want to talk a little bit about some homework that might be helpful for you. Did this the last time? But maybe if you are, have left kind of a string of broken promises, you know, ask God, what's wrong with me? Like, you know, and, and take time to listen. What's wrong with me? You know, what are the promises that I've broken? And it would be helpful if you really want to change this part of your life to actually list them out. What are the problems that I won't own in my life? Is there an addiction issue, is there money issues, or laziness, or, you know, me thinking people were dumb. Like, what is it, God? God, please help me to understand because I want to change. And then what do I need to do to become a trustworthy person? And I'm telling you, at the end of the game, at the end of the day, that's who you're gonna wanna become. God's gifts to people who hurt each other are forgiveness and grace and the power to change. And he offers that. And his promises are real. They're true. He does what he says he'll do. So why not ask him? Let's pray. God, I would imagine that every person listening to this wants to be known as a trustworthy person. They want people to believe what they say. They want to be a person of character and a person of integrity. And yet sometimes owning up to who we really are is a scary, scary thing to do. Because first of all, (laughs) it makes us feel bad about who we are. And secondly, it kind of raises the question, will I ever change? I pray God that you will give us the honesty to look at our lives, to look at our lives and ask ourselves the question, this integrity question, do I keep my promises? Do I do what I say I'll do and not do the things I say I won't do? Do people believe me when I say yes? Do people believe me when I say no? God, pour out your power on us. Help us, God, to become the people that we've always wanted to be and to make a difference with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.